Chapter Twelve of Pocket Island. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Roger Moline. Pocket Island by Charles Clark Munn. Chapter Twelve: A Day in the Woods. When schoolmates who have studied and played together until almost maturity reach the parting of their ways, a feeling of sadness comes to them. But when out of such a band there are eighteen of the best young men about to take part in the horror of war, the occasion becomes doubly so. The last few weeks passed together by the graduating pupils of Southton Academy came back to them in after years, much like the memory of a funeral. There were no frolics at noontime or after school, no mirth and scant laughter. A few of the girls were known to be carrying aching hearts, and it was whispered that two or three were engaged to be married to young soldier boys now in the academy. Liddy wore a new and heavy plain gold ring, and when questioned as to its significance quietly answered, as was her wont, I have no confessions to make. But those who were nearest to her and knew her best detected a proud look in her eyes, and drew their own conclusions. It was noticed also that she and Manson were seldom apart during the noon hour, and invariably walked away from the academy together. As there were other couples who thus paired off, it caused no comment. When the last day came, the academy was packed with the parents and friends of pupils, and on Liddy's desk was a bunch of June roses. She knew whose hand had placed them there. When the final exercises began, she felt herself growing nervous. She had never felt so before, but now the mingled joy and sorrow of the past four weeks were telling upon her. There were several patriotic and warlike recitations by the young men, and readings of an unusually melancholy nature by young ladies, all of which tended to make matters worse so that when her turn came she felt ready to cry. But she caught a look from Manson that was like wine. "'He has been brave,' she thought. "'I will be as much so.' And she was. When the exercises were over, the principal made a brief but feeling address which raised him several degrees in Manson's estimation, and that was the end. Most of the pupils lingered, loath to utter the last farewells, but finally they were spoken, and with many moist eyes among that gathering of young friends they separated. Some of them never met in life again. The few remaining evenings ere Liddy and her lover were to part were not wasted by them, and the last Sunday was one long to be remembered. "'Come early!' she had said the night before, I have a little surprise for you. When he arrived at her house that day, just as the distant church bells were faintly calling, he found her dressed for a ride, and was a little puzzled. I want you to take me to church today, she said, smiling, and then added in a low voice, to our church at the top of Blue Hill, where there will be no one but God and ourselves. 
It was an odd thought, and yet, knowing her as he did, it was not surprising. The simple reverence of it touched him, however. Now, she continued, more cheerfully, no more sober thoughts. Let us try and be happy, and like children once more. Here is a basket I have packed, and you are to put it in the carriage. We are to dine in the woods. The day was one of those rare ones that come only in June, and when they reached the spot, now henceforth and forever sacred to them, the sheltering trees were fresh with new foliage, the birds singing while building their nests, the summer breeze softly whispering in the scattered hemlocks, and over all shone the mellow sunshine. For a long time they sat on the rock, now hallowed by her tears, viewing the beautiful landscape spreading out below and living over, as they had many times before, and as young lovers will, all the little incidents of their lives, and what a marvelous thing it was that they had come to love each other. It was all a story as old as the rock upon which they sat, and pure and sweet as the blue violets blooming at their feet. In the midst of it Manson pointed to a spot in the valley below, a cedar pasture with an immense boulder in the middle, and said, "'Once upon a time, several years ago, when I was a boy, I was picking berries in that field, when a little girl in short dress and calico sunbonnet came running down a path near me, until, almost at my feet, she stumbled. And girl, berries, and bonnet went sprawling upon the ground. Can you guess who it was?' Liddy turned her face toward him and smilingly answered, "'Was that the way I entered your heart, Charlie? It wasn't a dignified way, was it?' "'It was at least effective,' he replied, "'for you have remained in it ever since.' When the sun was high overhead, she arose and said, with bewitching imperiousness, "'Now, sir, you have been idle long enough.' You must help me set the table. Bring me that basket in the carriage. If we are to begin keeping house up here, he answered cheerfully, perhaps you had better wait till I build you a table. I shall be glad if you can, she said, and watched him curiously while he cut small, straight sticks, and then larger ones with forked ends. These he drove into the ground under a tree and placing one stout stick to connect each of the forked ones and form supporting ends, laid the others across and close together to make the table. He then placed flat stones for seats, covering them with the carriage cushions, and when all was done he said, "'My dear, your table is ready. Now I will help you to set it.' "'I am glad I brought a tablecloth,' she remarked, smiling." When the dainty little banquet board, just large enough for two, was covered with a snow-white spread and napkins, plates, knives, and forks, and all the attractive results of her culinary art, he smiled, for the tempting food would make any hungry man smile. "'It's not an elaborate dinner,' she remarked as they sat down, "'but you must get used to my cooking sometime, and you might as well begin now.' 
When the sun was low in the west, and she sat near him, idly weaving flowers into the band of his hat, he said, "'Liddy, have you ever wondered how I am going to solve the vocation problem I used to worry about?' "'No,' she answered quietly, "'and I do not wish to discuss it, either. Remember, we are children today.' Then she continued in a lower tone, I have trusted you with my heart, my life, and all the happiness I can ever hope for, and when the time comes I know you will not fail me. I realize what it all means, he answered after a long pause, and you can trust me, for so long as God gives me strength you shall have all the blessings I can win in life. They sat in silence until the lowering sun had left the valley in shadow and smiled only on the hilltop where they lingered. Perhaps the dread parting that was near seemed creeping toward them with the shades of night, for his arm stole softly about her waist, and her hand crept into his. They watched until the last ray of sunlight had vanished and when they arose he once more gathered her close in his arms and whispered, "'Promise me, my darling, that if I never come back you will visit this spot alone, once a year, in June, and if there be such a thing as a life beyond the grave, I will be here in spirit.' "'I promise,' she answered solemnly, "'and no man shall ever have the right to stop me.' When they were ready to leave the place, he had to lead her to the carriage, for her eyes were blinded by tears. End of chapter 12 Recording by Roger Moline